Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Who Are You podcast by BiotropicLabs.com. Sports performance supplements for people who move. Use the code PODCAST20 if you want to try something out. The burden of proof is on me. And as always, a satisfaction guarantee. Hey, everybody, we've got our good friend back, the house band, Grant House, that is. Olympic trials qualifier in four events. We'll talk about what those are again. But I wanted to catch up with Grant today because we've been talking to him and you all know him and we wanted to see how things are going. I think we've got 38 days to Olympic trials. We've got one meet ahead of that. Swimming, of course. And this guy is a jack of all trades. He's a sprinter and what I call a uh, controlled sprinter. So, hey, Grant, I want to welcome you again. Be great to catch up with you and tell the audience what's going on. They're all going to be watching you make the Olympic team this year. Say hi and uh, welcome aboard again. Yeah, Craig. Uh- uh, hi, everyone, and uh, thanks for having me back on the podcast. Appreciate it. Oh, we love having you. Everyone loves sharing from you. I just don't bug you too much with the follow-up questions because I know how busy you are and how much it takes to do what you're doing. And you're busy, man. You're busy. So give us all a quick reminder. You've qualified for four events at Olympic Trials. What are they? I actually qualified for more than four, but we decided to narrow it down because, you know, the Olympic Trials isn't me where you go and just compete in as many as you can. It's It's a pretty focused and controlled meet where you go to make the Olympic team represent your country. And so with that in mind, we decided to swim the 50 meter freestyle, hundred meter freestyle, 200 meter freestyle. And then the last event would be the 200 meter individual medley. Uh, so those are the four events that we decided to lock in and really focus on. And what were the other events that you qual- or event that you qualified for that you decided to not focus on? Yeah, we decided to take out the 100 butterfly this go around because it was it was developing a short course in the 25 yard pool. But for the 50 meter pool, um, it wasn't developing as as fast as we were thinking it may or hoping it would to ultimately put me in a spot where I'd I'd be contending for an Olympic team because um, that's a very fast event for America. It's always been a dominant event with where my time's at right now. It'd be a little bit unlikely for me to, to get into the realm of where I could be a contender for that this year. I've seen the videos of, of your practices and some of your timed events, man. You're looking like an animal. You are an animal, man. Dude, how tall are you? Six, six. Yeah, six. This guy, if he wasn't swimming, could be a basketball player. No problem, man. We've got the uh, future Larry Bird here if swimming doesn't work out. Although he's a lot better looking. All due respect, Larry. I was a big <laughs> fan. All due respect. I love Larry Bird, man. I'm a Bostonian. <laughs> But anyway, tell us the difference between strategy-wise for each of these swims, because they're different. A 50-meter swim is much different than a 200 IM and different from a 200 free. Walk us through what it looks like for how you swim each of those events. The 50-meter freestyle is is the shortest distance we have in, in swimming. And so it, it, I'd, I'd say it's pretty similar to the 100-meter dash and in, in track. And, and it's, it's an all-out sprint. You know, it's it's really as, as precise as you can be from point A to point B, honing in all the technical aspects and producing as much force in a, in a linear path, you know, point A to point B, like I said, is, is possible when getting your hand on the wall first. And, you know, you kind of almost decrease the, the effort, but the force and when you apply it, where you do in the race as you go up. So for the 100 meter freestyle, you know, you have two laps and obviously someone can go out really first, really fast in the front end of the race but then not have what they need the second 50. And so it's really about balancing those and knowing when to accelerate and when to put forth a little extra force and knowing yourself too. And especially when you get to the two hundreds as well, it's really, it really is a strategic or controlled sprint as, as both of us like to call it and and knowing where to accelerate, where your moment's going to be stronger than someone else and really how to emphasize that. But you know, for someone like me, 
shifting this focus for the first time in my career to more sprint-based practices and sprint-based training, high intensity is, is, you know, that, that front end of all my races, the beginning portion of every race is, is going to be better. It's going to be faster. And ideally, um, it's just going to combine with my, uh, my aerobic capacity that I've built up through the remainder of my career and, and still building on today. So, you know, for the, for the 200, it's four laps, um, 200 meters. And so, you know, anyone can be out first at the 50. That doesn't mean they'll win. Doesn't mean they'll be first at the 100 and they'll win or even the 150. And so it's applying, applying the right amount of control to not use all your energy the first lap to kind of maintain the second lap, really start to get into 100% effort at the third lap, and then ultimately the fourth lap, just whatever you can maintain and, and technically and, uh, and effort-wise to, to finish out the race and not be de-accelerating, but rather either maintaining or even accelerating into the last, the last lap and especially the last 15 meters as we come to the finish. And, you know, you got eight guys trying to throw their hand on the wall first to see who can get, get there. Do you have a favorite event? I'd say the uh, the 200 I am has 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 been one of my favorite events um, for as long as I can remember. I, I really enjoy the 100, 100 meter butterfly and uh, freestyle is just something that's always come to me pretty naturally. Um, but I, I definitely like the the strategy and the uniqueness of of the 200s for sure. Um, and I've, I've really grown to enjoy the hundreds of almost every stroke as well, too, because I think it, it definitely takes a different class of athletes to just be ripping fifties of any stroke. Um, but there's a little bit more, you know, I, I think even playing field on the type of training that you need for hundreds of every stroke, you know, you can be the strongest guy in the room and, and be pretty good at a 50, but that guy's not always going to be able to put together a hundred freestyle. And so I think the hundreds and the two hundreds really complement the people who have a a overall great training basis, overall great um, experience with the sport and incorporate a lot of different aspects rather than just only, only sprint or only distance with, with uh, a lot more, a lot more voluminous training of like the mile, the thousand, the 800 meter, um, so I think those are really unique and I, I really enjoy the, uh, 200 IM and the hundred butterfly. I love the 200 IM and everyone ought to know that you're being coached by Michael Phelps coach, who was also a 200 IM or Grant's a humble guy. But the fact of the matter is he's got the same coach and legendary Bob Bowman. I had a question for you. So your chances are really good. I think, look at everybody should pay attention. I know you are to, to Grant House because I'm going out on a limb and it ain't much of one. I think he's going to get on the team. Now, Grant, there's a saying, I know you've heard it a thousand times, swim your swim. And one of the reasons that's important is that someone might try to take you out too hard and uh, wear you down and they're stronger at the last hat, let's say in a 200, for example, can happen in a hundred too, but 200 is more obvious spot where someone takes you out hard because they know you can't finish a race. So they, they wear you down quick. So how do you swim your own race? But on occasion, you got to do something different to catch the dude whose heels you've been nipping at for a long, long time. It's like, I've had it with this guy. I'm going to have to swim harder and tougher today to beat this dude. So what's the difference on that day between swimming your race, which you can't always do. Sometimes you got to get a little bit out of the box. Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah. How do you handle that day with that guy you're chasing with that swim? I think it's it's a question that a lot of people face, especially at an event like the Olympic trials, whether it's swimming or track. It's just, you know, we have this this event that happens once every four years and and I've only been once to swim one event. 
Um, and so, you know, a guy like Michael, who's been five total times or Allison Schmidt, who's I think going for a fourth been there three times, Nathan Adrian, at least two times going for his third or fourth, I believe. And so, you know, that that's not their first rodeo, as you may say, but um, I think it, it's, it's really about getting in that environment and, and understanding where like your level of excitement or arousal or stimulation may be at. And so everyone's going to be a little nervous. Everyone's going to be a little excited, but it's almost like a balancing scale of does it tip more nervousness and um, become a, a decreasing factor or detriment to your performance, or does it lead to more excitement? And then you're having more fun, um, more preparedness and more energy into that rather than taking away from you. And, and, you know, I, I think sometimes you just gotta put yourself in, in the realm of, of, exceeding your, what you think is, is possible for your limits and really chasing that rather than only operating at one, one level bar, you know, like this is my limit and this is where I, I have to be at, but rather, you know, it, I only get this one opportunity in the next four years. So why not put it out there and see what happens? And if I don't, then at least I can go home and be done maybe with my career or with that part of the season. Um, with the knowledge that, you know, I at least put it all out there and that was my best effort and you can go, you can go home with that. But if you leave saying, you know, I really should have had a feeling about this, should have taken it out faster, should have brought it back faster, whatever it may be, um, should have kicked harder, should have done this differently in the race. That's, that's a hard, that's a hard reality to deal with, I think for anyone. Um, and so I, I think it really is getting in that moment and just, you know, there's a, there's a Marine saying, I think coach Bowman always tells us is we, we rarely ever rise to rise to the occasion, but rather fall to the level of our preparation. And it, it really is an, an epitome of, of training and sport is like, oftentimes it's not the best scenario. It's not the ideal situation that we're going to perform in, you know? And so it's, it's what's, what, what is your habits? What are your disciplines on the daily basis that you've built up and Maybe when you get in that ideal situation, it all works together, but you know, even when things way, you're operating at such a higher performance level than other people, because you do that on a daily basis that you can trust that and believe in that. And I think that's a huge aspect for what we do on the daily basis. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. The way I'm reading it is that if you've done everything you're supposed to do, you actually rise to the level of your preparation. Let's set up what's happening this year with the Olympics. Olympic trials, sort of uh, where am I at meet, the final, the last where am I at meet by backing up one year because the Olympics were supposed to occur last year. Just give us all a heads up quick. What did it feel like last year when the Olympics were canceled due to COVID? How did it affect you at the time? What were you thinking at that time about looking forward to this time? I think when they when they canceled the Olympics, it was pretty pretty shocking for sure uh, for a lot of people and, and including myself, you know, you never, you grow up, uh, uh, I think as most sports athletes, typically in Olympic sports, aspiring to be an Olympian and, and myself, Olympic gold medalist. And, you know, you, you go through it and then you get to this junction where it's like, okay, well, this is taken away from you now and it's taken away from everyone though. And so, you know, if it was, if it was just an, op uh, an aspect of, Hey, the United States is, missing out on this opportunity and the rest of the world can go, I think that'd be a much different response. But no, for me, it was a unique time where I was physically recovering from a pretty serious injury in the fall of 2019. I was um, recovering emotionally and mentally from some personal issues in my life and factors that were coming up and just uh, 
all those factors combining just kind of, you know, I wasn't really addressing them. I was kind of letting them heal as I trained and improved. But when the Olympic trials got canceled in the Olympics as well, everyone was on the same playing field. Everyone was put on pause. Training didn't happen. Facilities were taken away. And that time frame really gave me an opportunity to like stop, slow down and address all those other things without, you know, being worried or concerned or, oh, I have to go do this great doubles practice today. Oh, I have to um, get even stronger in the weight room. I have to swim faster than I ever have today. But it's like, no, I just need to take care of myself today. And so that's, I would assume, and based on what I know from talking with my peers and others, I, I don't want to say a crutch, but a pillar that I got to lean back on that helped me a lot through the whole summer and especially even this year that I know a lot of people didn't because typically at that point, you know, March uh, and April, like people are pretty much gearing up and, and at their peak at their prime and, and figuring out the last, last puzzle pieces to be put and really in the best spot they can be looking forward to that event. And uh, you know, they don't have anything to really lean back on because everything's kind of dialed towards that and, and going that way. And so, I think I was put in a unique, unique situation to set me up for success this summer to, uh, to know I was in a little bit better standing physically, mentally, emotionally. And that's something I'm, I'm actually very thankful for that we kind of got that pause. You know, I'm not, not glad the pandemic happened, but you know, the, the kind of stillness and the pause that came from it, I'm very grateful for to work on, work on my, myself and the internal self. So that was about a year ago. Now, here we are. Let's get to business here. You've really had a continuous, almost two years of heavy training. I'm thinking about a full season of training. So how long is a full season of training? Let's set it up like that. What does a full season look like for you for any main event? So there might be NC2As or US Nationals or the Pan Am Games. How long is the season for you? If it's the collegiate season, that, yeah. that ultimately is for me about, you know, eight months out of the year. And I, I like to say a disclaimer, I think, um, as well as, you know, Craig, like for swimming, it's a unique sport where, you know, a, a year round training block is what ultimately is the standard and the most successful tr proven. Um, but for college, it's typically about eight months. Um, and then we switch over to something to train for a nationals for Pan American games, um, into a 50 meter pool and, and whatever, the international competition or qualifier is that summer. And so it kind of operates in an eight, eight month, um, eight or seven month, and then three or four month um, capacity for, for long course and 50 meter Olympic pool training. Yeah, you did a good job of clarifying because the reality is the big training season is collegiate, as you say, seven, eight months. And then there's a shorter season. And that shorter season is where you're going to go to you know, train for U.S. nationals or get picked for a Pan Am game or some U.S. national team that's going to go somewhere and do something. So it's been another eight months of training and maybe in this case more because I think it was about April last year or something like that where we found out there was going to be no Olympic Games. And so your training where you would normally begin to peak last year somewhere, you know, a few months after April-ish, you're getting ready to peak or taper. Tapering is a fun time because you come off the workload. You didn't get that opportunity, man. Maybe, maybe you came off the load a little bit just because you needed to, and it's not a bad thing to do to, to take a little bit of rest, but then you had to ramp right back up again. For all practical purposes, you've had nonstop two years, 16 months-ish of collegiate training with the balance club training. You haven't had much of a break. Yeah, yeah. No, I was uh, just talking to one of our coaches, Herbie Bame. 
um, last week during uh, a pretty intense set we had. And, you know, I was like, I, I feel like it was just, um, you know, it was just max effort, um, re max repeated efforts for us. And I, we got to the end of the set and I, after the end of the practice and I was just like shot and like way more fatigued than I would have imagined I typically would be. And it just kind of like settled in. I was like, Herbie, I, I feel like I've just been doing the same thing on repeat for, for just months now. And he's like, yeah, he's like, we haven't had the opportunity to really drop everything for an NCAAs or, or another nationals because of last year. And so that's, that's very, that's very accurate. You know, we've, we prepared for a couple meets here and there, but nothing, nothing to really uh, drop the floor out from under us, all, all the eggs in one basket, you know, just an opportunity, like you said, to kind of deload from a little bit of training, give ourselves a, a good edge for competition and compete at a, at a higher level than we have before. But, you know, nothing really that we've been willing to risk it all for, put everything down and stop what we're doing and gear everything for that. It's just like, you know, here's a meet. In four weeks, you know, like two or three days before, we'll really focus on just the events you're going, not all, all this other training that we need. Um, and maybe like a, a spring, like a spring meet, we had this this year, a sectionals, which was an opportunity to race short course um, and then long course meters uh, after the meet was over. But, you know, it, it, it's still, there's still a lot left in the tank. We were still strength training days before um, pretty heavily. And it's just, that's, not typically what you're doing as you approach your, your biggest meet of the season. So it's, it's very true. Um, in March of last year, 2020, I did have a meet where I prepared pretty in, intensely, but it was more just to see where the training was at rather than this is the biggest meet of your, of your season. For sure. It was just kind of like, we're going to bring you down a little bit. Um, got to like sleep in one or two days, just kind of get my energy levels back up and uh, body in the right state to see where we can, I can perform with, without all these other factors in there. So um, besides that, it's been, yeah, you know, 12 months, especially. And, and the months before that March meet were, I'd say arguably the hardest and highest volume, hardest months of training I've ever had um, from, you know, August of 2019 till uh, February of 2020. And then, coming back in, in the fall of 2020, just picking up right back there, especially. Yeah, swimmers don't get much of a break. I sometimes would joke that any downtime they got was really just like a day of sleeping in. I refer to it as what I call it. It's a tired sport. What that means is that these guys are training all the time. They're always tired. Swimmers aren't always bumping with energy. They are when there's a meet. They are when they're tapered. And they are when something special is coming up. But mid-season, they just want to go home and go to bed, eat a big meal and, and, and lots of big meals all day long, and just go get some rest. Is that still about right? Yeah, 100% yeah. accurate. Yeah. I try to find the upside and down things. And one of the upsides of COVID, I mean, you have to look to the upside. And one of those things is it created a lot of clarity. There was only one thing to do, almost only one thing to do. And that was to just focus on 2021 when they shifted it. You weren't going to have NC2As. You weren't going to have last summer any U. US nationals, you weren't going to have anything, right? Olympics moved out in trials and some scheduled meets between that time and trials to see where you're at. So it created a lot of focus in some ways. Is that so? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, in a roundabout way too, it, it even created like a, a hyper focus of, you know, we have this one thing we're working towards Olympic trials, but as the whole world has seen with the pandemic, we we never knew what was next week, what was two weeks away, what was three weeks away. So it it really allowed us to just kind of give everything we could to each day. 
because we didn't know it was guaranteed the next day or the week after that. I mean, I think there were more than I can count on my hands times where, you know, we'd show up like this is the plan for next week. And then the next day it'd be changed or the next day we'd have to sit out because someone had a high risk of COVID contact and we were around them. So we had to sit out a couple of days or so many other factors that came into play. But yeah, I, I think by focusing every day to be the best I can, if you think about it as a step, like if I'm the best I can be this day and then the next day and then the next day and next day, you're ultimately just stringing together all these days where you're improving as much as you can and just in, and positively trending upward um, to where you find an even better peak or a peak that you didn't even think you could. So I think it really allowed us to just slow down and, you know, focus on, I'm going to make this day as best I can. And then when you keep saying that for 365 days, once you get to the last day, you're like, wow, I've, I've been making myself better each day this whole time. And now it's time to let it loose. That's something interesting or certainly made me think of something. You were, had some forced downtime during COVID. And when a swimmer is getting a legitimate downtime, they grab it and they take it. But when they're getting forced downtime, it's the opposite. It creates anxiety because they need to be swimming all the time. They need to be in the pool. They're used to doubles, certainly up to doubles and sometimes triples because we have to talk about weights, which you do. He's just sort of talking about the doubles here, folks. But the fact is there are triples too here. And when you're supposed to be doing that kind of volume of training and you're forced not to do it, you always wonder, well, gee, what's the competition doing? Is someone else getting in the workouts? I'm not. And it has the opposite effect. It doesn't make you feel good that you're getting rest and you get to relax a little bit because it's forced on you. Would you say that's so? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's the case. Now, let's get to now. Let's get to right now, because that's what this is really all about. How are you feeling right now? What is the meet coming up? And when do you begin to taper, which means to fully physically prepare for Olympic trials? Give us the walk through. Yeah. So we are exactly one week out, seven days from the Indianapolis TR Pro Series that uh, we'll be traveling to and competing. Um, that'll be you know about uh, exactly a month out from the Olympic trials. Um, it'll be our final tune-up. It'll be the first time we've traveled outside Arizona for a meet um, and flown out of Arizona. Um, so it'll be really neat. You know, it's it's kind of the last checkpoint to see what needs to happen if he or she needs more rest, or if he or she is in a really good spot and we can kind of maintain for a while, um, or, or really what each athlete needs and where they're at physically, especially, but also mentally, emotionally too. And so it's a meet to go go out and compete against the the national caliber guys. Maybe the local capacity doesn't have to offer, especially when. You're, you're swimming on a division one program. That's, that's one of the more elite levels of swimming that we have to, our sport has to offer. And so when you can go beyond to the national and international level, that's really the three, the three tiers of our sport. And there's a lot of crossover with those levels too. So going to Indianapolis, it's, it's kind of the last preparatory um, opportunity and competition we have to see what exactly needs to happen going into the last 30 days, especially of training. And uh, once we get inside those, you know, 20 days, 21 days, then that's when serious adjustments are, are kind of fine-tuned and finalized. And we're starting to come off strength training, dial down the volume in the pool and really hone in what we need to on, on all those regards. And, and that's really the name of the game for, for how we peak and operate in the sport. So as you're coming into this meet, what you say is two weeks away? Uh, next week, seven days. Next week, seven days away. So today is the 6th. That's something like on the 12th, Wednesday the 12th? Yeah. 
you'll swim on the 12th of May and you'll get a look at what's going on. One last chance to tweak and change things. But at this stage of the game where you're really fully baked, what can change? Would it just be the training's done and there's very little technique that's going to change at this point. You're a technical maniac at this point for the most part. Maybe your head you can work on, but maybe how you taper is revealed a little bit in this meet. So I'm just guessing here. Tell me, what what do you learn from a meet in a week that is one month out from qualifying for the Olympic team? What do you do about what you learn? As an athlete, I don't have all the answers to that. I think it, it falls on the coaches, especially, but it's it's a it's a two way relationship there. You know that what falls on the athlete to relay the information, the feedback, and communication to the coach, and for the coach to reciprocate that to the athlete. And so, you know, like for for the Indianapolis meet, it's the three days before are ultimately like getting me in the best spot I can um, to perform at the meet. So when we get to Olympic trials. I can just kind of know those three days are there, my lead up into the meet, what my, my walkthroughs are going to be at the meet, what my preparation is going to be, what my warmups. And so basically just a trial run for competing at the, the last meet of the season. And so when I get to the meet, I just have to kind of go on, on repeat and, and almost be, uh, become like a robot of this is easy. I don't have to think about this. This is where I warm up. This is when I change. This is when I eat. This is when I drink. This is what I drank after after the work after the swim, the competition, the event, and so just kind of getting all those questions, maybe especially since we haven't competed in a national setting in a while, out of the way, and just having the autonomy once we get to trials to have a little bit more trust, a little bit more um, stress relief on those factors, so we can focus fully on on the the event at hand. And and you know if someone swims like really bad, really poorly at this meet. It's, it's just an indication of, okay, well, it's probably not going to be they got too much rest at this point because we all know what's coming up. So it's that they're very broken down and, and they need a lot of recovery until that period. And, you know, if, if someone swims better than they ever have before, it's let's just keep building on that. We don't need to do anything crazy over the next three, 30 months or 30 days, but it's just let's keep building towards that a couple of days. And then as we approach it, start bringing it down gradually and gradually and, and trusting that we're in a really good spot. So I think if, honestly, if you swim so great next week, it would honestly be a little bit more concerning for 30 days later, if you kind of took too much off the gas or um, if, if that's maintainable 30 days later or not. So I, it, it definitely says a lot. I, I think, uh, you know, the United States has, the Olympic trials, almost 40, 42-ish days typically before they go to the Olympics. And time and time again, the United States has proven that they are the most dominant country in the world for the sport of swimming. And numerous other, other countries are starting to adopt that, that trials process because most countries have their trials a year before and the thought process of, you know, everyone knows they're on the team that way and they can prepare a whole year for it. But they find that sometimes it's sustainable. And the way that America does it seems to be, you know, just statistically and, and data-driven, evidence-based, the best results year, Olympic cycle after Olympic cycle after Olympic cycle. And so I think that's 
that's the same idea here, you know, before Olympic trials and then Olympic trials into the Olympics as well. I agree with you wholeheartedly on everything you said there, especially how dominant we are, because there may be periods in history where we fall off a little bit or we're not winning the relays like we're supposed to. But by and large, overwhelmingly, we're the best in the world. And what's interesting about it, I've told people forever, is that if you really take a close look at it, how good are the Americans? Well, how about there's still a lot of countries in the world doping and we're beating them still? Russia still dopes. I'm saying it. You're off the hook. Okay. I'm saying it. Russia dopes, China dopes, and uh, there are other countries that dope. That's a game they play and they played at their risk. And we still had Lily King take out, it must have been four years ago when she beat the Russian that was allowed to swim. She got noticed that she could swim the day before. The Russians were banned from the Olympics. And then uh, the couple of my handful were let in and Lily took out the girl who is a long history of doping and turned to her in the pool and stared her down. And then when she got out and got in front of the microphone, she was tough. She's tough. She's tough. I think what you're saying is true. But going back to the girl who has a really great meet and that may be you know, some cause for concern uh, in a week. They have just a monstrous meet. But if they have that meet completely unrested, I would think that would bode well for the taper, that that they're going to do really, really well. Same thing for the person who swims really badly. That would tell me that that person probably just needs a lot more rest this time around and can still have a great swim, but can be more mind-blowing for the person that doesn't have a good swim, fully tired, unrested than it is for the guy who has a great swim. Is, would, would you agree with that? Is there some, some insights on that? I think- I think science is like progress so far and, and I mean like since just just since 2000 alone but 1980 1990 like um, some of the 1970s some of the strongest years for American swimming um, and the coaching caliber is so so high I mean since then as well too but especially now as well it's you know it, it's very rare where you get a high level athlete and a high level coach really uh really mess things up if they're either too good or too bad. I mean, I mean, I think you need to know how to keep the ball rolling and play the hot hand if you have it or fix things and make, make serious adjustments if, it, if you do, because, you know, no idiot is running a, a division one program. Um, no, 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 just rookie is, is handling the best athletes in the world. T- typically it's someone who's um, very knowledgeable of the sport and very informative of what they, they can do. Swimming is a sport where it's never about how you look as good as you might look. Uh, it's about how you feel. And so this meet coming up in a week is really, you swim and, and it's a lot of talk. There's a lot of uh, verbal feedback to the coach. This is how I felt on my fly, my back, my breast, my free. This is how I feel overall. It's about feel, would you say? Yeah, I think, I think you know, at a certain level, we have to have trust and it's not always based on how you feel, but, you know, getting to that comfortable state of, of trusting the the work you've been putting into and and i think coach bowman um says it says it best a lot of the time it's not it's it's facts over feelings like you're you're a good swimmer like you put in the training again what we talked to and and not just this is this magical thing isn't just going to instantly take you from not making olympic trials to making the olympic team like you have to make the olympic trials then you have to be better than everyone else around you and and that's factual like when you touch the wall it's not an illusion and I, I think it's a, it's a good blend of both of those things for us. That's a, that's a very good point. I, I hadn't quite thought of it that way. That's much more profound than what I was saying. Of course, that, that makes a good deal of sense. Let's go back to something you said that I want to ask you about. One of the reasons I think we're so dominant too at the Olympics in swimming is because you described 
how it looks internationally when they have their Olympic trials and then they have a full season of training to go to the Olympics and have a whole year to think about it. And we go to Olympic trials and we get fully tapered, fully rested to get a world-class swim. And then you got to get back in the pool for what, six weeks? Yeah. You get a lot of conditioning in, in a short six weeks and then taper all over again. I think that creates huge focus and urgency. And that's one of the other reasons why I think our methodology works better is because, boy, if you've made the Olympic team a year earlier in another country, that's a year's worth of, uh, of focus. But in our case, it's front and center. There's no getting around it. I think that makes us better at it. Would you agree with that? As I went through my first year in advanced qualifier, from 2018 to 2019. And, you know, by the end, I was very motivated and, and very prepared to go there. But, you know, it was something that uh, I felt was more maintainable if it had been months before. Like you're going in with a full head of steam and full preparedness, like you just said. And, you know, at some points, pains, it dips, it ebbs and flows a year out. And when you have that short time, you're ready, or you're ready to go right when the event happens. And when you have a whole year, there's going to be numerous points when you're ready to go or maybe not ready to go. Yeah, it makes sense. What's it like to walk on the pool deck at Olympic trials? You've been there once already and the average person only gets there once. You're going to go twice. So you're already above average in that sense. But what does it feel like on the deck when you walk on? It's definitely a lot of excitement. And I'd say, you know, it's a spectacle. It's definitely the first time I went there. I was definitely more starstruck than than ready to uh, achieve what I had set out to achieve. And you know, it, it came with years prior that I really realized that, or years following that I really realized 2017 World Trials. There, 2018, I knew I belonged to be there. 2019 at World University Games and Pan American Games, I was there to represent the United States at the highest capabilities we were we were able to be at. And so, you know, it it kind of put me in a, a state of growth and, and real, realization of you know that that is a spectacle, that is an event. And it's dating sometimes, especially if it's, if it's your first time because of how, how different of an event it is from everything else in swimming and how important it is. You're older and wiser, smarter, more talented, way more trained than you were a year ago and, and before that. So last question here for you, because I know you got to race not to a workout, but you probably have to race to a rest. You've done your uh, workout. You need to go rest somewhere, lay down, as I said earlier, eat and watch some uh, Judge Judy probably, right? Something like that. <laughs> Imagine for me, if you will, uh, since last year's disappointment, what is it going to feel like this time to walk on the pool deck? At It's in Nebraska this year. What's it going to be like to walk on the deck this time? For me, I think it will just... Most importantly, be a lot of gratitude, just being grateful for the opportunity that we have to be able to compete. Because I think a lot of people, as for myself, I, I can train and everything, and I've, I, I enjoy getting gutting it out with my teammates and whatnot. But what really gets going and for it is the competition and the thrill that the race a lot in the last year um, to the highest capabilities all the time. And so, really, is an opportunity and gratitude, gratefulness to be able to have that uh, chance to race again, compete again, and to see where we're at, push our human potential as far as possible. That's going to be the, the emotions I'm going to be feeling, you know, excited to be there, to be racing, but also gratitude that we got here. We made it. We survived the pandemic. Like you didn't, whether you got sick or didn't, you're alive. You're there competing with your body, with yourself. I think that's a little tidbit that everyone wake up um, if they're surviving it and, and moving through it. 
that they uh, they can tell themselves. And, and sometimes we forget, even even in the midst of the pandemic, we forget how how important that and that sentiment is. All right, Grant House. I hate to let you go. It's a selfish endeavor for me. I love talking to you. Get a vicarious thrill every time we do. I think you're more patient with me than anyone is because uh, <laughs> you know you got to deal with me. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. We're all watching. We're all paying attention. We're all wishing you the best of luck. But uh, you're going to do it, and we got your back here. Anything we anyone can do to help you here, you let us know. All right. Thank you so much, Craig. It's my pleasure, brother. We'll catch you later and get some rest now. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Who Are You podcast, brought to you by Biotropic Labs, sports performance supplements for people who move. Join us next time for another edition of the Who Are You podcast.